Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, everybody. It's Fowler here once again to tell you about Manscaped. But it's different this time. No, I'm not talking about freshly shaven balls. I'm talking about their new Weed Whacker. That's right. Manscaped have just released the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer in the UK. Take a look in the mirror and I guarantee you'll see those hairs sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. Now, I don't, well, as far as I'm aware, I don't have a problem with ear hair. I don't necessarily have a problem with nose hair either, but I do get them. Uh, they're more kind of a discomfort than anything else. I, I, I hate when, especially since I suffer from hay fever and can get like a bit of an irritating nose sometimes. I hate the fact that when I have some some nose hairs just hanging around and I do, I, I don't like to go up there with scissors. So I do just tend to try and pull them out. It is, uh, it's painful. It always makes me sneeze. It makes my eyes water. It's not a good look. And I I certainly would benefit from this product. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which means it helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate little areas. It is the only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable lithium-ion battery that lasts for up to 90 minutes of use. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Yes, you can get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, everyone, 79% of partners polled have admitted that long nose hair is, is a major turnoff. And I think you can only agree with that, surely. I mean, nobody, nobody likes to look at it. It's, it's very off-putting. It's, it's, it's not pleasant at all. Just get, get those whacked. And in order to help you do that, we're offering 20% off with free shipping when you use the code Terrace at Manscaped.com. So once again, let's get 20% off and free shipping with the code Terrace at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the code Terrace. What are you waiting for? Get those weeds whacked! Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, returning to the Monday hot seat once again. And this week, I shall be joined by Duncan Mackay, Gary Cocker, and then Graham Thulis to look through the six Scottish Premiership matches that took place. That's right, six. None called off for COVID. Everything went ahead. Uh, Unfortunately so, in in some cases, but uh, there was still plenty to talk about. And I hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. Firstly, on the podcast is Duncan Mackay. Duncan, how's it going? Oh, I'm top of the world, looking down on creation. <laughs> Did it detect a hint of sarcasm there at all? 
Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, what more can you say? Uh, I I often thought that 2020 would be spent just st- sitting in my house all weekend and uh, not watching, uh, well, watching football, but not actually being able to attend any. Brilliant. Fantastic. Really fucking bored of it now. <laughs> well, what a cheery way to kick off this show. Let's make I know, it'd be more- completely different to Hibs had won. I'd be like, hey. Yeah, I suppose I. I was like, uh, okay, let's This uh, is the thing about Friday night games is that they, they, allow to, they allow you to infect the rest of your weekend in a way that you possibly didn't think about because you go to bed in a bad mood and then wake up Saturday. And- Right, so yeah, you might have put everybody on a downer with your, with your first comments there, but I think everybody except from the Hibs fans listening what might be perked up to hear you. Uh, you personally just uh, kind of bemoan uh, life even further uh, by talking through Friday's match. So it was Aberdeen 2, Hibs 0. Aberdeen scored twice in the first 12 minutes and then pretty much defend a lead from then on and Hibs don't really do enough to, to bring them down. So the second game we've got to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, if, if that's all you want to talk about that game, that is absolutely fine with me. Um so uh, yeah, I, a bit of my like sometimes I'm organised in life and sometimes I'm not very organised. And Friday night was one of those nights when I I wasn't organised uh, and hadn't paid for the pay per view ahead of time. And then rarely like we don't usually get a takeaway mainly because there's no places in Dunbar at delivering. So, but Sarah had suggested so we could get one. So and it was late. And so I got like by the time I finished tea, I then checked my phone and already had the flash score thing come up, being like, and I was like, well, I'm fucking not paying for that then. Uh, and <laughs> rewatched it. I watched the highlights uh, twice, and I, I, I watched the game on Wise Scout. Um, but yeah, um, when I saw it was two 0 down, I was like, well, what is the point? Like that, like that is just an invitation to pay to piss money up a wall, basically. Yeah, um, I could have, I could have skimmed through most of the match as well because after the first. 20 minutes like, oh, like I didn't wa- I didn't watch it live but like yeah even watching the game on Y Scout I've done the first 20 minutes and then after that I was like well let me just put this on fast the times three and see if there was anything really worth talking about there's there's actually a lot to be said for doing that um, what game was there was another game I was watching recently where you just even if you just put slightly faster um you know, that you can see the patterns of play a lot easier than because the, the whole game shifts along in kind of blocks. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, and in this case, uh, a lot of the ball went uh, out of play a lot. So we should probably just start with the goals. We usually kind of talk about more tactical stuff, and there are some things I'd, I'd want to get to, but it's hard to be too tactical when the game's finished in the first twelve minutes. Uh, and, and and down to personal errors as well. Like that's like you can't really account for that. Yes, there was there was some in it in terms of Aberdeen getting their getting their reward from pressing very high up the park for the for the first goal. Uh, and it, but I mean, I mean, the pressing to an extent for the second, but it wasn't really high up the park, was it? Um, uh, yeah, the first goal, Ryan Hedges does does very well. Jamie Murphy, to begin with, puts his team into trouble by playing a, a bad back pass. I'm not even entirely sure who he was going for. He literally just kind of passes the ball into the corner, uh, but not enough on it to go right for a goal kick, which probably would have been better for, for Hibs in the long run. Uh, Hibs are able to, to keep it in play. It goes back to Murphy. This time he tries to, to kind of clear it up the park, but he's closed down by Hedges. I really get the ball back. Uh, a nice wee kind of play between uh, Lewis Ferguson that was playing in right, but there's more kind of mistakes in the Hibs defence as Paul Hantlin overcommits on the pass to, to to Cosgrove, which didn't actually doesn't actually come because the ball doesn't go to Cosgrove and also doesn't necessarily have to do it anyway because you can see that Josh Doig is, is kind of spotted that, that Cosgrove's alone and is running over anyway. So it's not like it's something that Hanlon in the end has to do. 
And then it's just quite easy for for Wright, who's kind of pulled away from Porteous. And there was also kind of talked about that in sports scene that Porteous and Hanlon kind of not really getting their communication together of who was supposed to be sticking with Wright. And it's just kind of a, a nice wee turn and finish from there. Yep, you uh, described that <laughs> described it really well. And uh, yeah, there's, I mean, obviously uh, there was an element of it just would bring me back to being back at Easter Road where someone would have inevitably shouted hoof it at, some, at a certain point, uh, quit fanning about with it. Um, and, uh, and sometimes there is a cause to do that. Um, Murphy is, <laughs> Murphy's been up and down since he arrived. I'm, I'm not entirely sure he is what we needed but we have him. Uh, and well, some, uh, I kind of thought you needed him as a third option up front. And yeah, but we're not. Is he, is he ever, that's has not, he ever that, played there? No, no. So that, um, <laughs> yeah, we decided to use him as an ineffective midfielder. Yay! Um, and yeah, and then the second second goal is what I can only describe as Ryan Porteous playing some sort of tribute to Eve McAlamby, um, and just thinking, oh, well, nothing the bad. ground as well. Yeah, nothing bad happens when you scud the ball off an Aberdeen player uh, at close quarters. Um, and uh, to be fair, let's nice... talk about the finish is exceptional. Like, yes, because you're like, what you did? Because he's, he's moving I knew so what was slowly. happening. Like, I knew what was happening because obviously I'd heard that Porteous had made a mistake and Cosgrove scored. And Cosgrove going in, and I was like, well, I didn't think he was going to do that in terms of the finish. I thought he was going to maybe curve it around uh, or just blast it. But actually, it's a very... I didn't. I didn't know he had it in his locker. Put it that way. And he must. He must have it in his mind because he's. Even, I know it's, Cosgrove's not exactly the quickest, but even for Cosgrove, he's moving slowly towards goal. <laughs> he seems to have. He, he seems to. He must have it in his mind so quickly what he wants to do, and he's like, right, I've got time. I've still got time. I've still got time. Right now, I'm going to do it. Kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, considering that how long he's been out for, that's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I thought it was, and then uh, the, <laughs> the rest of the game was just. Uh, Aberdeen's cobra like instincts to to squeeze oxygen out of a game. Um, the the back three easily becomes a back five work possession. They work so hard for each other. Like, the amount of times that you would just notice actually that uh, Aberdeen suddenly had all ten outfield players behind the ball. Like you know they 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 are but they they, they are defending and attacking as they're attacking exceptionally well. But they're def- defending as a unit all the way from the front, which. Is one of the you know one of the reasons why they they're they're going to be finishing third this season. Yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head there, and that they're as soon as the second goal went in. In fact, maybe you'd say beforehand, but definitely after the second goal, their formation was no longer a three four three; it was a five four one. And come on, Hibs, can you can you break through us? And I think no. that I think that <laughs> no Hibs, is the is the answer to that. I think Hibs were a little bit maybe hamstrung in, in trying to do so from just starting out in a 4-4-2 because where do you kind of go from there? And Aberdeen just kind of, I think for the most part, kind of funneled Hibs, pushed uh, kind of Newell as deep as possible because he was kind of, kind of picking up, kind of coming a bit deeper to try and pick up the ball and, and get things started, but mainly just kind of funneling them out to the wings and saying, OK, put balls into the box then. And Hibs will obviously have the advantage on the wings anyway. Uh, well... You would have it on a three four three, not so much on a five four one. But kind of like put the ball in a box and see if you can beat one of our tall, eerily good centre halves, especially Ash Taylor, who's I think the last time I checked, literally number one in the league for aerial duels one. So he's the best player in the league heading the ball away. So yeah, it's yeah, it was always going to be an uphill uh, battle from that point forward. And it's also what do you do like 
if things aren't working, it, yeah. It, yeah. it's hard to take off a striker and bring on a midfielder <laughs> when you're chasing a game. Just, the optics aren't great, even though it's, sometimes it's the best thing to do. Yeah, I mean, you, you just look at the... Th- well, the first... You look at the substitutions that Aberdeen could have made as opposed to the ones they did make, because I'm not going to sit here and argue that, that Curtis Main's a great option to come off the bench, but you know they they bring on Lee Logan and, and Main, and Hibbs bring on Stevie Mallon, Trey Wright and Jamie Gullen. Like that's that's the gap. Like you know, the, um, admittedly, I will be advocating that we start um, Stevie Mallon next Sunday against Dundee against uh, their defence and chocolate wrists and whatever owner of chocolate wrists they have in goal. But that might be the only time I will advocate for for Stevie Mallon starting. Mo- but again, at the moment, he doesn't feel like he's a, an option off the bench that's going to change the game either. Um, and I think. For having the, the, the width that, that Hibs do or in the pace on the wing, that they're still not using that effectively. That you know, that, that so much of it, so much of everything was going through Newell, like, uh, which is fine because he's one of our better, best players this season, but there's, there's a complete over reliance on him at the moment to, to try and make things happen, and he's not that creative as, as that player either. Um, I th- yeah, again, another, another real poor performance I think from Martin Boyle and then but at the same time is you know, was involved in in potentially a penalty which I think it probably was but I'm not I'm not I didn't, I didn't, think, I didn't think it was a penalty I think he knows I think he knows what he's doing I think he's stuck in his arse out to I would have given the penalty just because yeah Kennedy can't be that stupid like you, like I think <laughs> like that, that that's generally one of those things like I think I think that is a foul outside the box is given, but um, again, I'm not going to... I don't think that was cry. a penalty, but I did think the other one was a foul. The, the long ball over. Yeah, but... It's a little too much in that. That's another one that if it's not like in a last-man situation, the referee's definitely blown for that. Yeah, but again, what, we score the three-kick from that and then... What, what, no, we wouldn't even score the three-kick from that because our set-pieces this season have been atrocious. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But again, I'm not going to get... Uh, I'm not going to get too upset about it because I think even under Jack Ross, we have been quite streaky as a team. Uh, there isn't that. So I, I, this this performance kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Ross County away last season, just in terms of just the huffing and puffing, but like just nothing was coming off. Like, even, like all the breaks of the ball were going against you. The passing was uh, a yard off or, you know, just, just scrappy. And I think... Just have to write. You just have to write a game like that off. Admittedly, it doesn't look good coming off the back of last Sun Saturday, and uh, that's now the second time we've uh, not really looked like laying a glove on Aberdeen, to be honest. Um, but what can you do? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean like we are running a lighter squad than last season. Um, we, you know, again, <laughs> it's that sort of thing, like. If we if we'd got McCrory, I think that you know, you swap one player you know in that game of fives or sevens when you're getting beaten and then you just swap a player over. You're like, oh, this would actually make things a lot more easy uh, for the other team. Um, Hibs but, fans are doing what Hibs fans tend to do after a couple of poor results and are proceeding to to wet themselves again. Uh, and I'm just thinking, calm down a little bit. Uh, you would be like last week was obviously something to to get upset about. Definitely, you, you don't want to. Uh, I I've been there myself. It's very embarrassing to lose to your rival within a division fucking below you. Uh, so yes, fair enough. You, you can be annoyed about that. But this 
Hibs were always, I think, likely to lose it for Tordray. I just think Aberdeen are a better team. They're a better they haven't squad. won there since Sean O'Hanlon scored. Yes, so and Hibs haven't won there. Like... Hibs haven't won there in years. Like you say, it's just bad timing more than anything that these two kind of bad results have come back to back. It, it maybe is a little bit of concern that there's not a deep squad. So if guys are, are not playing particularly well, they can't really be taken out. But at the same time, look at the rest of this division. The, like the the worst that's going to happen to Hibs this season is they'll finish fourth. Yeah, I think I think that is I think that is the, the that might be the concern though is if we don't finish fourth, then heads will have to roll because oh yeah, fuck already, I definitely because, <laughs> it's a, it'll be a already, shocker for Jack Ross this season if he doesn't finish in the top four because can't yeah, nobody can't, else has a squad anywhere near the quality of Hibs. Yeah, as 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 we'll probably talk about when we get to the next game, but yeah, like I think that's you can't have a even already a seven point uh, lead uh, at the start of November uh, next to fifth, like. And those teams should all uh, cut each other's throats because that's that's to be expected. Um, I guess, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's still there's still League Cup matches to go, and uh, you know, Scottish Cup, and I think that's where Hibs's best chance of of doing something, uh, either good or terrible, <laughs> is there. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think. Friday night was just a clear, not vindication, but a clear uh, sign that Aberdeen are comfortably the third best team in this division. I think that, that we can't really, can't really argue with that. Hibs, Hibs can maybe get themselves back into a little bit more. Well, I mean, it's, Aberdeen have just gone ahead of them, so it's not act like it's a fucking fifteen point no, gap got, or something. But they've got a yeah, they've got a game in hand as well. I think that's a good but again, so yeah. I suppose there's an element that Hibs have. Hibs are slightly better at take at getting results uh, from the old firm. I would say probably yeah. over the last few years. And I, I can imagine a scenario where it's kind of similar to Celtic and Rangers at the top. Celtic are struggling at the moment. Uh, obviously, they got a good result uh, against uh, Motherwell, but th- there were still kind of signs of it that were a bit kind of like. Eh. And you're thinking Rangers look the much better team at the moment, but Rangers beat Hamilton eight eight nil. Celtic beat Motherwell four one. It's not as impressive, but it's still worth three points. And it could be yeah. the same with Aberdeen and Hibs kind of for, for a lot of the season. And then if Hibs just kind of stay as consistent as they've been so far, they can stick with Aberdeen, maybe make a move or two in January. Maybe Aberdeen get hamstrung by injuries a little bit. You never know what's going to happen. And then you you use that chance to, to kind of move ahead. So certainly not worth panicking for Hibs fans at the moment. Calm no, but, 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 but a lot of them are. So <laughs> A lot of them need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's move on to the game at McDermott Park. Yes. Uh, starring the Fog. <laughs> one of two <laughs> the games fog, starring the Fog. The Fog was the man of the match. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, St. Johnson won Kelly nil. In, in some ways, uh, this was a very impressive performance, I thought, for, for St. Johnson, who I thought passed the ball fairly well, thought they, they played with a very high tempo, they played with a very high press that really kind of stopped it really got in Kelly's faces, stopped them for passing. Ali McCann and Murray Davidson dominated the midfield. The defence completely negated pretty much anything that uh, Kelly had to throw at them, but yeah. they were helped out a little bit by Kelly in that sense. I'll get to that later on. But at the same time, I mean, other than the other goal disallowed, to be fair to them, and not entirely certain uh, if it was offside, Um Obviously, the angles we were provided can always hard to tell. But uh, they, get, they get the goal for Danny McNamara and they get a victory. But at the same time, for as well as they played for a lot of the match, it's still a team that doesn't look like it's going to score a lot of goals this season. And you're still 
at this point in the campaign, 13 games in for St. Johnson and half their goals have come in one match. That's, that's still a concern. You still look at that front three of Wotherspoon, May and, and Conway and think, are these guys going to get enough goals? And if they don't, who else in the team is? And I think that they're, they're starting to look like they've, they've gone back to the 3 4 3, which I thought was rubbish at the start of the season. That's starting to work a lot better for them. I think the players kind of know what they're doing a bit more. I still think it leaves them lacking in the final third. And I still don't think they've fully, maybe it's something they're working on the training ground and that will just be a matter of time as well. But it, it's still, they still look a little kind of, I don't know if just jointed is a word in attack, but just kind of not getting into the right areas and not putting balls into the right areas to, to create chances and score goals. Yeah, they are, they are pretty blunt up front. Um, and maybe that, maybe that is something they're working on in terms of knowing, I mean, Davidson has talked about that around Stevie May in terms of he wants him to play bang up front and and not come deep and, and look for the ball, which is something that he has a huge amount of form for doing because uh, it's understandable because he's a very talented player but gets frustrated. Um, but yeah, it is, it is blunt. But then... <sighs> It's going to be enough this season, though. Like it's, it's, it's almost it's good, like that could be enough to finish top six. Re- in reality, I mean, I think it, I think that, that, that yeah, there's going to be a, a not a great season to finish fifth or sixth. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you've probably got if you're finishing fifth or sixth, you're looking at hopefully at one game where you might be in with a <laughs> in with a chance uh, post split. But um, yeah, like it's again, we it's difficult to tell as, as well how much the f- the fog really came on in the second half. Um, whether it, but it didn't really change much. The game, the game was the game in the in the second half as it was in the first half. So I'm, I can't. I, I wouldn't want to defend either team by saying that, that the the fog played a part in the game as a spectacle. I think it was always going to be uh, as KG and and as you, and you're right, disjointed as it was. Um, I think special mention channels go to Tanzar for basically keeping. Uh, Chris Burke at the game like I thought that was one that's one of the uh, poorer performances I've seen from Chris Burke this season um, and largely that was down to the work that Tanzel was doing um, which is which was great because well great from a St. Johnson's perspective because the further the, the, the further that uh, Burke wasn't involved in the game was the, the more and more isolated that made Kabamba because there was, it was <laughs> it was just Gaps everywhere. <laughs> like yeah. just But that's the problem with Kelly when they don't play uh well sorry, when they play in a four three three. If they're not getting much kind of service out of well I mean they might get a bit more joy once Merlin was fit, if he's ever gonna be fit. I mean why the because you kinda of thought having because he played against Rangers last week, you kinda of thought he would maybe get a wee bit more time in this game. And yeah. I don't think he came on at all, did he? Nope. No, yeah. Um so that was weird because the do Tishbowl has been good this season and uh, he, I've, I've quite been impressed by his performances. I've, I've sang his praises a few times. He's not that creative a player though. And no. So that no. means they have three players in the centre of the park who are not creative and that's fine for some games. I could understand them playing it against Tibbs. I can understand them playing it against Rangers. I don't really understand them playing it away to St. Johnson uh, to, to go with that. And it especially blew up in Alex Dyer's face the fact that they were overrun in that area anyway, despite the fact that technically they've got kind of a one-man advantage because they've got three central players as opposed to just the the two for St. Johnson. And that's 
pretty shit for Kelly. <laughs> I, I definitely disagree with his choice to, to go with the, the five midfield. Why not play the 4 4 2? I always think Kelly would look better in a 4 4 2. They, they have enough industry to make it work. It gives them more options in attack, more firepower with, with Brophy up there. Brophy only getting the last 15 minutes again. Why? Like, Kelly were well, pretty Kilty wasn't Kilty wasn't doing anything. Yeah, Kilty really. wasn't doing anything. Burke wasn't doing anything. Kabamba was isolated. Like, they were they were terrible. Why not change it? He really needed to change it earlier than he did. And it was pretty poor management from Alex Diaries. We're getting a bit of, probably deservedly as well, a bit of praise this season when I think a lot of people were expecting... Kelly to, to just kind of go one way uh, after he, he didn't look all that impressive last year and kind of moving further away from the, the Clark era and, and losing kind of more key players. But I think they've, I think they've been not bad this season. I, I've picked them out. I thought they kind of belonged above the riffraff. And we were talking about this kind of campaign, like a top four. And then I would, I think I said before, uh, Kelly and Livingston in their own wee league and in the rest, and that's that's that's, t- that's not happening. That not aged not well. That that's not <laughs> aged well. Uh, but I'd still like that Kelly have got it in them. Uh, one thing that I did find interesting though, uh, kind of uh, just checking the fans forums after after looking at the game, was uh, supporters kind of aren't really happy with the fact that he seems to go to the same players all the time. So I think in the last four games, what was it I read? In the last four games, I think it's twelve. So it's either 13 or 12 players have started and they've not really played that well across a lot of it. They've done okay in some of the games and maybe just been a little bit unlucky. Uh, talk about the kind of Hibs and Rangers games and, you know, maybe on other days they would have got a point out of both of them. But it's still, it's, it's, he is sticking with kind of the same personnel a lot this season. And does that, is, is that a fault of Alex Dyer uh, in a sense that, he is being too loyal to the guys in the starting eleven. Where he, he sometimes, it's not even necessarily that you're like sometimes you, you help your own team by bringing out players, even if you know these guys are better and these are part of your best starting eleven. You sometimes need to take guys out just to give them a rest, just give them a kick up the arse, just to, to do something, just to kind of freshen up the team. Yeah, and so and they're not so. So is it a fault that he's not realizing that, or is it a fault that a lot of these guys who are making up? the bench guys he signed during the summer are they not good enough uh, well I don't know <laughs> to be honest um, maybe, uh, maybe they'll get a run out you know uh, in these two games have got basically dead rubbers for them uh, against away to Clyde and then home to the Barton this week and then they that's quite a big fixture for them um, two weeks to uh, today uh, two weeks on uh, yes on Saturday against Ross County home because then you'd have to go- think he'd return to the four four two at least for that. You would you would hope so. Um, because, yeah, but then the, yeah because that the way that takes us that's the whole of um, uh, November done by that point. So we've only got three more games this month, um, and then they're away to Hamilton and then Celtic, which is and then they've got Aberdeen at home, so that'll be fun for them. Um, yeah. I'd, it's so difficult with with, with that to, get, to have an assessment of how he's doing, you know, because expect because what what should we be judging him by? Basically, that's that's what that's what we've got to get to. Like, are, are we meant to now be judging him or like now that he is uh, given the job full time? But then you know, we can put into the fact that, that there's coronavirus. Like you know, like it's a, like I think it's it's really difficult this season to judge a lot of managers because 
things haven't been normal and they can claim extenuating circumstances. I mean, I'm sure as hell Jim Goodwin is going to for as long as he lives. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult one of, of how... How are we to give a proper assessment of players and especially the managers? Because you, know, we talked about it dur- uh, during lockdown, like this idea that it might be quite exciting that managers would have months to go away and think of uh, of, of how they might want to play differently, and that's not really happened. Um, and you'll maybe, maybe we can say that. Blame okay, it on the done. Everybody was just defensive. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah. Most of, the, most of the kind of uh, brilliant tacticians and kind of football are kind of renowned as being defensive. It's kind of seen as being kind of that's if you're if you're being like great tactically, typically. Like I think that was what kind of Jonathan Wilson's kind of inverting the pyramid was all about. His tactics kind of grew more into football. Football got more defensive. So maybe that is it. Maybe all these managers have had too much time to to come up with a perfect. Perfect formations so, for what, stopping the opposition, but not scoring goals themselves. So you can tell me in like twenty years' time, Jonathan Wilson's going to be writing like the history of the tactical innovation of the, the Scottish Premiership, what it contributed to world football. <laughs> no, 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 I'm definitely not saying that. <laughs> okay, just <laughs> checking. Close to it. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was just, that was just a throwaway comment. I don't <laughs> think them actually. I don't think every manager in the Scottish top flight has gone away and just studied on d- defence for the entire fucking <laughs> summer. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, where are they in the table? They're still six. I think. I'd like to think this is a blip. Yeah, maybe, it's not panic stations. He maybe I think he does need. To, he needs to freshen things up just a touch. Like I know that the kind of guys in reserve, like Mitch Pinnock and Hornstrup and Danny Whitehall and uh, Aaron McGowan. Uh, I think I've covered just about everybody there. <laughs> they not look great when they've played. Uh, and that was kind of why I was asking the question: Is it a case that he just he, he just can't trust these guys, and he's literally just got like you talked about Hibs having a small small squad earlier? Do Kelly literally just have a squad of like thirteen players, like the guys that started the game, Brophy, McKenzie, and well, I mean, when he's fit, the fact that they were willing to uh, to chuck the or forfeit the the League Cup games would suggest yes, that is the case. <laughs> Yeah, it will be interesting in the next couple of games whether they do get a couple of positive results and then whether that means that a couple of these guys come in. Because if they don't, they kind of leave themselves open for criticism there if things don't go well against County. But at the same time, I would still fancy them to, to beat County at home. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they should. But yeah, we'll see. We'll, well, that's the joy of Scottish football is there's always another game just around the corner. Right, Duncan, I think that'll do us. Thank you very much for joining me. It was a pleasure, mostly. mostly. <laughs> Talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye and now welcome on to the show, Gary Cocker. Hello, Gary. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Yourself? Oh, aside from feeling like I had cataracts trying to watch the second half of that St. Mary United game, I, I feel great. Well, we'll come to that. We'll come to that much yeah, later. Yeah, we'll come to that. We'll, we'll begin yeah. with the game that's worth talking about, first of all. <laughs> and that uh, was uh, Model 1, Celtic 4. Celtic doing uh, doing the best to get kind of back on track after Thursday's embarrassment to, to Sparta, to an un- undermanned Sparta Prague in the Europa League. Uh, they needed to come out and, you know, not only not only win, but to, to put in a little bit of a performance for the fans. Kind of looking at some of the comments after the game, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think some fans were saying one of their best league performances of the season. I, st- I still think that 
I still think their first game is actually their benchmark, the, ha- the Hamilton game. I, I don't think they've looked as, as good since then. Uh, Let's be honest, everyone's benchmark is going to be their game yes, against but Hamilton. However, I think Aki's in that game actually didn't play that bad. That's probably one of the best Hamilton's played all season, to be honest. It was that game and they still got absolutely scudded. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, some people said it was one of the best games of the season. Other people said that it was still, there was a lot of. Still, some of the, the problems showing up, especially with the defence that didn't look like it conceded one goal. I think it could have conceded one or two others and didn't deal with uh, Tony Watt and Cole all that well. I, I'm kind of in the middle myself. I thought there were uh, there was aspects of it for Celtic that were a lot more impressive. Tom Rogic, uh, I thought, was had a very good game. El Unissi, of course, scoring a hat-trick. And Ayeti's movement up front, he's, I don't think he's as good as Edward, but he's certainly got more motivation about him at the moment. Uh, so I think he's a, a better player to have up there. And Scott Brown uh, is another player I should probably mention, uh, having a very solid, kind of commanding game, kind of Scott Brown of old performance in front of the back four, which itself did look improved with Iyer in place of Duffy, although Iyer felt his groin go again and is therefore uh, a doubt for Norway and might be a doubt when Celtic return as well. So, yes, like I say, a mixed bag. It, it was one of those games that I felt, and you know, some Celtic fans might say this was unfair, but on a very slightly different day, this would have been an absolute disaster for Celtic. Um, I think that, I mean, obviously, El Unis, he had to make up to Jock's scene somehow, and I think he's gone, <laughs> he's gone some other way to doing that. Um, but as you say, I think you know Scott Brown had a terrific game. Um, Frimpong, he's not really played that well lately. Uh, he certainly wasn't going to play well after Devante Cole just about snapped his leg off yeah. um, in what was the clearest red card I've seen in a while. Um, although he was just given a yellow. Um, Andrew equally Dallas. strange. Yeah, equally strange because it's Andrew Dallas, who usually, if if he can hand out a red card for anything, he's he's right there. But going back to the remember game, remember who his dad is. Yeah, of course, of course. Remember who they're playing against. Remember Operation <laughs> Stop the Ten, Gary. Come on. Add it all together. Add it all together. Um, but no, I, th- I felt like Celtic. Celtic certainly benefited from the fact that Motherwell have a scarecrow in the goal um, for the next little while. Aaron Chapman did not move a muscle um, at any point. Uh, it's actually quite entertaining watching the goals because. You see him sort of half moving his hand down, but without moving his legs at all. And I, I don't know if he thinks he's like Inspector Gadget and he has some telescopic arm to save <laughs> uh, to save little shots, but it was not happening for him. But no, um, as you say, Motherwell had a few good chances. Tony Watt was clearly desperate uh, to Tony score. Tony Watt had another um, good game. Yeah. Um, he was, was a bit unlucky for the goal, but I thought he played really well. I think he's, yeah. he, he showed himself... Something that Tony Watts kind of brought to his game recently is ability to play well in the air, which I something I'm not sure he, he had before. But he he won his fair share of flick-ons. He was he was just like he was busy. He was a good threat, and it's, it bodes well for uh, those who of us, pretty much every single one of us on the podcast, and obviously Motherwell fans as well, that are hoping this isn't just one of these kind of typical Tony Watt bursts that he has during his career when he, he looks amazing for a couple of months and then kind of goes through these long periods of just kind of kind of cutting a frustrated figure. Yep, he's um I mean he, he certainly wasn't helped and well no one from Motherwell was helped by Liam Polworth um deciding just out of the blue, uh, I know what I'm going to do with this ball near my own box. I'm gonna pass it back the way <laughs> without even really looking to see what's Always going a good on idea against Celtic who are always going to have about five players in that vicinity. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's strange because a four-one defeat at home, even if it is to one of the old firms, should should sort of make you feel a little bit down. But I just, I just feel as if Motherwell, um, you know, goalkeeping disaster aside, uh, I mean, that back line as well, uh, having to play Mark O'Hara at the back. I don't think he ever played at the back for Dundee. He did for Kilmarnock before we signed him, um, but it's not a position that he's been used to playing for about four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit makeshift for them. Um, I think Motherwell's biggest issue is definitely just going to be who's in between the six um, for the next little while, because I think Motherwell fans seem to be quite happy um, at who they've managed to, to get uh, to come in, but um, they might now have to be going to whoever their fourth choice keeper is. Jordan Archer. Jordan Archer. Well, there you go. Uh, and nearly Scotland international. <laughs> No, he was. He's capped once. Yes, but you know, he, no, he's literally he's literally a Scotland international. Yes, but how long ago was that? Like I don't know, two years. Okay, well, you just keep proving me wrong here, time and time <laughs> again. That's fine. Um, he's but, capped by McLeish. There you go. There's your asterisk if you want it. That, I, I'll take it. I'll it was that, that the South American tour. What was it? We played Mexico and Peru. Oh, I think it was a Peru when, game. That was when Stephen O'Donnell, also of the Motherwell backline, uh, got his uh, got his first cap for Scotland. Uh, yeah, aye, we're done. Um, he's obviously in the squad a lot more since then. Though I think Lewis Stevenson would be the shout. He that's when he got yeah. his one cap. Was was that uh, that tour away where Stevenson played the first game and then left because he had was he had his honeymoon or something <laughs> when he had a family holiday booked to Disneyland or something. Well, you know what? He can call himself Scotland international, just like Jordan Archer can. Yes. Um, but no. It's, it's yeah, as you say, it's, it's quite a difficult one for me to to actually pick apart from Motherwell because I think that they've you know clearly in recent weeks they've definitely improved. Tony Watt is on a hot streak, albeit he didn't score today. Um, this was just I th- I'm trying to remember the statistic now. I think that in in the games where Stephen Robinson has been Motherwell manager, I think he his side has scored seven and conceded thirty six. I think. Um, so it's uh, it's not a team that Motherwell like coming up against. It's certainly a team Celtic like coming up against. I think Motherwell uh, are the side that Celtic have scored more top tier goals against than any other. I I thought today's game w- from a Motherwell perspective was a kind of you know operation was a success, but the patient died because I think yeah. they, they gave Celtic a bit of a game. It, yeah, it wasn't. It, you know, it wasn't brilliant. I mean, we've seen teams uh, in the Scottish Premiership give the old form better matches than this, but they still, they had a goal, they caused problems. I, I think their main downfall was the fact that defensively they were pretty shoddy, but as you said, there was, you know, mitigating circumstances for that. The goalkeeper was rubbish, O'Hara playing at the back. He's, he's looked good there, but it's, it's, uh, in the other two games he's played recently, but there's a difference between looking good against Ross County and Livingston than there is against Celtic. And it was just the first two goals were far too easy. The the third goal, I think, is I think guys in the chat were giving O'Donnell a bit of stick for getting out and jumped. But I think Elianusi's got the run on him. He's got the momentum. He's he's a you know he's a better athlete anyway. <laughs> and it's a great ball from El Hamad. And yes, yeah, it's, it's better than anything Frimpong managed in his uh, fo- errors on the pitch. Aye, and the fourth goal makes it look harsh. I I think it, it makes it look like they get kind of basically hammered and I don't think I don't think that was a fair reflection I think 3-1 would have been a bit more fair uh, or even like 2-1 because I thought Motherwell did compete pretty well but uh, that's at that point of the game 
like Motherwell just throwing bodies forward and it's just kind of fairly easy for Celtic to put them off. And I think that was the, the one where Chapman was at his worst, where he kind of went doing an instalment trying to get to that <laughs> job. Again, I, see, it feels harsh being like, like harsh about him because I'm not necessarily sure he would have stopped any of them, but he just didn't look good for any of them either. No, he, the one that really sticks in my head is the second goal. So that's the one where... Uh, it's almost like your classic FIFA goal, the sort of cut it back into the uh, sort of the edge of the six yard box and just tap it in. But you didn't see, um, I mean, for me, he should have been, he was obviously, he was guarding his near post. But then when the ball was cut back, he didn't seem to anticipate the fact that uh, El Unisi would then put it in the opposite corner. He was still just sort of stood stock still. Um, and I feel like he's, he will do the bare minimum but I don't think there's ever going to point, be a point where the commentator is going to be raving about a terrific Aaron Chapman stop. And I suppose that's, that will probably do uh, when, uh, when Motherwell are not playing uh, Celtic or Rangers. And their next couple of games, they've got like St. Johnson next, then they've got Hibs, and then they've got St. Mirren. So I think this is, as you say, it's one where you know, Motherwell just sort of have to take their lumps and just you know, continue on their uh, upwards trajectory. And it does feel strange saying that after a four-one defeat at home. But as you say, I think the the scoreline maybe doesn't uh, doesn't tell the whole story. Unlike the other one that we're going to talk about, have to talk about <laughs> at some point. Yeah, just to get a final word on Celtic before we move on. It's there still are these these issues that exist. I kind of alluded to that earlier. Okay. They still need to get that defence sorted. They are looking a bit better going forward. And it's just, I think it goes back to what I've been saying kind of a lot during their, their poor stretch. Even, I mean, you could maybe say this, it feels like you could say this about a lot of Celtic teams because the old form are better than everybody else in the league. But I feel like this Celtic team especially, in El Yunusi, in Christie, in McGregor, Rogic, Edward, Ayeti, Griffiths, there's just so many players that could just pull a goal out of nothing. I don't think Celtic have even, even throughout their their 10 in a row kind of run. I mean, you could even include Forrest in that once he comes back for injury. Uh, like, uh, there's been very few other points during this whole stretch where they've had so many match winners in their team. And yeah. it's the show today that I don't think they were necessarily, I don't think this was Celtic at their best. I just think that the. El Yunusi was on it today and Rogic was on it. And that's what you really need. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, like, I don't think Callum, Callum McGregor must be the next one on the carousel because uh, he's he's had a bit of an understated season uh, yeah. to date. Uh, Christy was uh, fantastic earlier in the season as well. As you say, Forrest will come back. So for Celtic, it's just a case of uh, letting, putting out people who he uh, has probably given a bit of a ball to and hoping that they respond. Yeah, um, stop, stop particularly picking. if you've got the ghost of Jock scene sitting on your shoulder. Yeah, stop picking the Shane Duffy. That's that's just uh, that too. It, it, it certainly helped today. And then when he came on, he, he was only on for about ten minutes, but he got beaten the air by Jordan White. So it was like, what are you for? <laughs> right, it's, uh, the the human victory cigar. That's what he is. Let's move on to the game. Submitting nil, Dundee United nil. Gary, give us your thoughts on this one. It's. That's Dundee United's third nil-nil in four games. Um, the the highlights on BBC are I burst out laughing watching them because uh, first of all they're two minutes long, uh, and I think the chances that they show in the first half are uh, a very 
easily collected shot from Ian Harks. The only shot on target in the entire game, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, it's a real collector's item. Uh, Dundee United shot on target, and that was followed by a St Mirren chance. And then all of a sudden, it cut from this to, you know, Silent Hill. Uh, it was just fog everywhere. And uh, I've seen some St Mirren fans complain about what seems to be the only other uh, moment of note in the game, uh, which was uh, Jonathan Obika getting floored just uh, at the very end of the game. I think it was McMullen. Um, but there's no way the referee's going to give a penalty because the referee can only see about two yards in front of him. Um, so it was... I think it's it probably does the trick for both teams. So for St Mirren, that was their first game in almost a month. Um, you know, their, their lineup was just filled with regens as well. Um, people weren't really sure what to what to expect from them. And for Dundee United, um, I think Graham and others have already said this in the past, they are very much just about churning out very, you know, just slow, steady, unspectacular, um, you know, pick all of the uh, synonyms for ugly football that you want. That's just what they'll do. And it'll be fine because it'll keep them up. And that's... Uh, that is probably all that they really need to do because it's not likely that the likes of Hamilton Academical are going to be putting together enough results to overhaul what is already a pretty sizable points gap. I don't know what to make of United, to be honest. Like, the the games against Aberdeen and uh, St. Johnson, it's just clear they were going for like a a fucking point in both games. But considering the form they'd been on, Aberdeen's game especially, the opposition you're playing against, I I can get it. I don't think we should do that, especially with everything going on. I think you should be trying a lot harder to be putting on a show for your supporters who are having to pay to fucking watch it from their living room. Uh, But... You know, I understand as a manager, your your bottom line is results. Keep the team in the league, get the team up the league as high as possible. And I think at this moment in time, the United might be fifth, are they? Sixth or fifth? I think they're fifth. Um, yes, they are. They are fifth somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, so, because you've got Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Hibs, everyone else, massive gap, then Hamilton. Maybe so not yeah. on points, but... In- Fucking, at the end of the day, fair play to Mickey Bell and I make it... He probably doesn't give a shit what guys like me say and the fact that bemoaning the fact that they play horrendous football and I hate watching them and I think he should be trying to put on more of a show for, for the United fans. But he probably does not give a single fuck for anybody who has that opinion, let alone me, who he's probably never heard of. Um, but I should also say as well that they actually kind of set up in this game like they looked like they were going to have a go. They played two up front, they played Paul as a number 10. They're... They played Liam Smith in a back three, and I think whenever you play a fullback in a back three, you're, you're kind of wanting to at least have that ability to play it from the back. And if you've got Smith on one side, you've got Reynolds on another, you've got two players that could do that. It was all set up for Dundee United to actually have a go and to kind of, you know, create and maybe score some goals. And yet they'd done absolutely fuck all all game. And I, I just felt like. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be. I'm not going to be too harsh on Mellon for this one because I kind of thought that the attacking players just really went at it today. Shankland, Clark, Pollitt. Anytime the ball went up to them, fuck all happened. The, the the thing that strikes me is that I think what Mellon might be doing is just basically uh, treading water until January. At which point, I think he's hoping to uh, commit surgery. Is that a phrase? I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> um, basically, I mean it's uh, I'm, <laughs> commit I'm, surgery. Depends how legal the surgery is. <laughs> well, he's uh, he's you know we won't go into it because sadly uh, for me we're we're not that type of podcast that can talk about Dundee United's finances. But at some point they are going to have to sell Shankland, 
Um, and it's pretty clear, uh, financial worries aside, that Mickey Mellon doesn't fancy several players who were pretty central to United's last season. So the likes of Louis Apri, um, the lesser spotted Louis Apri these days, and Paul McMullen, he came on for the final 20 minutes and actually uh, you know, seemed to give United a bit of drive and a bit of impetus, um, as, as far as you could tell, through the fog anyway. Um, so it's, it's a strange one because I think that United fans look at the team's that Mellon puts out and I think that they would probably do a couple of things differently but I think that they're maybe labouring under the misapprehension that the players that they saw win the championship at a canter last season would definitely be good enough week in week out at premiership level they're probably not so again this is very similar to Motherwell and Celtic this game I think is it's hard to tell whether it was good or bad for United in a way because, yeah, it's a, it's a draw against a team that hasn't played in a month. It's right at the bottom of the league and probably or near the bottom of the league. Um, but at the same time, I think for United this season, they just want to just want to get to the end of it in a respectable eighth or ninth. Um, you know, they, they could maybe finish in the top six, just given how closely concertinos, uh the sort of lower to mid table reaches are. But that's where they are. Um St Mirren, again, I feel like every time I'm on this podcast with you, I, I moan about people playing a back three uh, and how it, <laughs> how it always seems to be teams that just don't actually have the quality to uh, sort of execute uh, playing it well. But it's, well, They play the 3-4-3 three, three, and I've certainly bemoaned that formation uh, so far this season. I will, I'll throw St Mirren a little slack. I, they were certainly the better team in this game. Uh, with, without any doubt, they they passed the ball a lot better. They they dominated the kind of territorial um, uh, battle. Did I just use the word battle twice? I don't know. Anyway, um, but I think that was mainly because in the two so the two number tens playing off uh, Dennis, who started the game up front with Marais, Obika, and Ed Erwin all on the bench, and I think it worked well to an extent. Those two. Kind of dropped into, yeah, sorry. So uh, Dennis up front, there was Cameron McPherson and Jimmy McGrath uh, behind them as the two number 10s. And those two number 10s dropped into space very well. Uh, both of them were very kind of composed passes of the ball. So they knocked it whenever they picked it up. They usually found a St. Mirren man. The wingbacks and Richard Tate from the right and you signing Brandon Mason, who I was quite impressed with on the left, got yeah. forward. They, they showed a lot of attack and impetus. And... And another day, I think they might have done it. It's kind of similar to what I spoke about with Duncan and St. Johnson. And I think it just goes for a lot of the league that they just, there just seems to be a lack of players that you can hang your hat on to create and score, really. And Burn are definitely a team that has that problem. The league is just has the league just has much better defenders than it does attackers, really, for the, for the most yeah. part. Uh, and this is probably a good example with, um, especially St. Mirren having like Shaughnessy like, and uh, McCarthy, is it the other boy as well? Uh, yeah. Simon's defence has been pretty good for a couple of years now and the attack's been shit and I think you can say that about uh, probably about a few teams but the, at least I think the for a team that sometimes this season hasn't had a go uh, at opponents enough I think they did try I think they formulated a game plan that, that worked fairly well but the the problem is, is that they've not played in a month. They've spent ages. They must have spent ages on this game plan. It did work to an extent, and to the fact that they were the better team and they played some decent football, <laughs> but they still never scored and didn't really miss many chances either. And that's again a big concern 
I'm just, I just feel like I'm repeating myself all the fucking time on this show. If anybody listening at home is getting like fed up of me repeating the same thing, I'm getting fed up of fucking saying it. Like, can somebody in this league for the bottom six actually start playing some fucking football and score goals? This, I mean, it, it just feels like, uh, you know, this this feels a little bit sort of like 1918 to 1945 uh, in that you're just sort of in the middle of of everything. You're just waiting for the next big thing to happen. Um, because this season is just, it's not really taken off. Obviously you've got, you know, you've, you've got Rangers very professionally and at some points terrifyingly, um, you know, securing the results they need to Celtic sort of having a bit of a disaster every now and then, but still pulling away. But as you say, there's, there's seven teams in this league where the fans are probably looking and just shrugging their shoulders Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Can somebody, can somebody please, one or two teams, please emerge for this pack of, yeah. and give me either, something to be excited about either a marriage or just consistently be absolute dog shite one or the other I don't mind which it is I think Hackers um, have got that one uh, down yeah I know but you want another one so that you know you've you've, <laughs> you've got a little bit of a sort of duck shite battle there but um, but no the the other thing is that we we also can't rule out the the impact that the weather had on this game I mean obviously I was watching Dundee play Alloa uh, in the same evening and the fog wasn't great um, it didn't really help but then we I think visibility clearly, clearly at the ground, visibility was better than it was on screen. But I refuse to believe that was the case in Paisley uh, because it was just, as, as I say, it was like watching Silent Hill. And I think the, the minute that that set in uh, at the start of the second half, that just really killed any chance of the game being anything than two teams playing out for a draw. Thank Gary. Thank you, Aldeas. Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> even, your, even your goodbye was unenthusiastic uh, I'm just I'm done I'm done with this premiership season I've got Graham on tomorrow hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll save this podcast by saying something well to be fair he's a model fan he's getting to laugh at Aki so we should get some sort of uh, joy out of that absolutely right goodbye thank you and finally, I welcome onto the podcast, Graham Thulis. Graham, uh, I've just been talking to, to Duncan and Gary, and, and kind of I can feel like a lack of energy in myself uh, talking about the weekend's football. So let, let's save it. Let's save it with Rangers 8, Hamilton Academical 0. I'm glad you're looking for energy, um, because this is the game which has it, as opposed to the next game we've got to talk about as well. So let's, let's get a bit of energy back, and then we'll, we'll fade out as we go on. And uh, what, 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 what the fuck? Like, <laughs> Goodness fucking me. Like, broadly, I have to show, like, a, a modicum of respect to Rangers in this. And it's something which Craig Anderson sort of lit in me as an idea a while ago. And the idea that teams who let off the gas when they're 3 nothing up and then just play out the rest of the game. And Rangers have done it a couple of times this season. Like, they've gone two up in the first sort of 20 minutes of games and then just not really bothered that much for the rest they, of the game. They did it against Levy when I had money yeah. on them to win uh, minus two. So they scored twice in the first, like, 25 minutes and didn't they bother their arse for the rest of the game. I was fucking raging. So, yeah, um, I, I, unfortunately, I didn't have money on them. Like, I should have. Uh, minus fucking five or whatever but uh, yeah to, to be fair to they put on a show like I, I said earlier like uh, having a go at Dundee right? they need to put on more of a show for their supporters watching at home and Rangers certainly did that in this game it was like it was like it was just ridiculous. Like, and it's, I find it really difficult. I find I generally find it quite easy to write notes for games, particularly in the format that we do just now, where you focus on a couple of games. And I really like working like that because I don't need to know about six games. I just need to know about two games, and that's absolutely grand. This game, I find I find it almost impossible to write notes about because, like, Aki's were so catastrophically bad in just about every single area. Like the first like ten minutes or so 
Like they're, they're kind of in the game, not really in, in any great sense. But as, as soon as that first goal goes in, like for the for the following like seventy five minutes of the game, like I just don't get close to a Rangers player. Like th- every single one of the go- every single one of the goals, there's players miles away, and, and the way that Aki's came Agrox and set up is. It's absolutely bananas. Like setting up with like a, a, ideally with a kind of a back three, when you know that Rangers have two wide players who have two fullbacks who are going to spend their entire time in that area of the pitch is just it's it it, it sound it looked like Brian Rice had never watched Rangers before. Like, are, are you aware of what they do? And it's not like Rangers or did anything different to what they normally do. Rangers have been doing the same thing in various levels of good, bad, and indifferent for the past like two years, three or two years under Gerrard and. Like to to come to Ibrox and set up like that way is it's it, it it's not it's essentially just like careless. Like what the fuck are you what the fuck did you expect to happen here? Yeah, you saw that in the first probably the first two goals I would say, but especially the second goal where you had uh, Ben Sterling. Uh, so him and him and Adolphin were both kind of both kind of at fault for the first goal where they kind of a bit of a, a miscommunication and because also. Not just uh, Hamilton going to Ibrox and playing with a back three against Rangers three forwards, and that leaves you know leaving the wings free for the best two, uh, probably the best two wide players in Scottish football at the moment in Barisic and Tavernier. Uh, you also had them playing with a very high line to begin with as yeah. well, and, and kind of pushing high up the park. And that was as soon as the mistake came from Sterling and Rodolphin, then that uh, kind of allowed Rangers the space in between behind to score the first. But you saw it with the, the second goal. Sterling follows Kent into the Rangers half. <laughs> for some fucking reason, I can only. It looks like they It had looked like they'd been yeah. told to man mark because there was a lot of centre half running out to to close people down about forty yards to go that never made any sense. Uh, but he follows them into Rangers half, which is fucking stupid, and it's immediately shown as stupid because Kent sees him and then goes, "Oh, what I'll do instead is I'll just race you to the Rangers box now, and I'll win by about twenty yards." So that happens, and then at the other side. Because McMahon is tucked in, uh, who, who he was the left wing back, he's tucked in to try and you know to help with the, with the cross coming in from from Kent, and that means that when it comes back out to Tavernier, he's got all the time in the world to. And again, another very good cross of the ball. He's got all the time in the world to, to pick out a decent cross, and Roof nods it in, and already it's two 0 down. And then the third goal was just funny because it was a fucking counter attack. <laughs> You're allowing Rangers to counter-attack you. You're two nothing down already in the first twenty minutes. Just maybe shut it up for a while. <laughs> at, that, at that point, just go. Do you know what? Like, it's not going to be our day, guys. It's just, it's not going to work. But like you say, it's just, it's just ignorance more than anything else. Like if you're going to play in that sort of way and vacate that sort of space, the Rangers have not only, as you say, two of the best crossers in the league in, in Barisic and Tavernier, but as well as that, they're playing it with a midfield three of with Arfield Naribo in it and. If you're going to vacate those spaces, Rangers are immediately going to go into that space. And there was points in the game where it was basically on the edge of the 18 yard box, and there was two Rangers players standing next to one another with Noaki's player like base almost in shot. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is it doesn't seem like this feels like really sort of basic and obvious stuff. And if you're going to go Ibrox and you're going to play in that way, and as you say, if you go down to two nothing, see at that point, just fucking end the game, just close it, drop everybody back in. You've been playing Davy Moyo out in the left hand side. Drop him out in the left. Just just drop all the bodies in. Have a low block for the next eight for the next seventy minutes of the game, and just get out of there in one piece, as opposed to doing what you did, 
There was a race after the after the third goal, and Rice did change up his tactics to try and stop the bleeding, in, in the same way that our doctor may try to stop the bleeding by using a fucking chainsaw, and it just kept going uh, because I have no idea what the defence was supposed to be after the at least I knew what it was when it was a back three, <laughs> like it was a terrible idea, and uh, they were all over the place. But at least I knew what it was. It took me so long to figure out what they were trying to do when once they shifted to the four. Johansson's position it was all over the place. He seemed to have to like mark three players all at once, all the time. I had no idea what the hell was going on. Like, it was just, for Rice to come out afterwards and say, like, oh, we're tired and stuff. You know when teams are just tired. You can see it in the players, and the players look leggy and stuff. And I guess there maybe was a, a part of that in this game. But also, they seem to have no idea what the hell they were supposed to be doing. And that's your fault, Brian. That's not the fault of injuries or COVID or whatever. That is your fault. His, his comments after the game were absolutely incredible, being like, well, things can change quickly in football. Like, Southampton are top of the league now. They lost 9 nothing. They're number one. They're not, Brian. They're fourth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I understand the principle of, of where you're coming from. But he might as well have just sat down at the press conference and opened up Spotify and cracked out D-Ream and just started blasting out things can only get better and just sat there with his arms folded like, that's what's going to happen here. That's, that's Things can only get better. Because at this point, literally things can only get better for Aki's. They are... They, I know there's. I know it's an ongoing thing that like you never write off Aki's because eventually, inevitably, they'll survive. This year, Aki's are going down without any question at all. To me, they are comfortably the worst team in the league. Every other team has issues within them, issues which, like St Mirren, we, we talked at length previously, and defensively, they just don't really seem to have enough bodies more than anything yeah. else. But everyone, and, and their attackers are all shit. Yes, but every, every, they are, they're at the very least stodgy and difficult to break down and difficult to score against, as we saw this week again, uh, after not playing for a month, they came back and just kicked the shit out of Dundee United and, and in the end maybe could have won that game as well. But they're the other team you're looking at. They're Ross County as well. I've watched a bunch of times over the past few weeks, just don't look like a very good team. But again, they are, they are light years ahead of Alan Hackies, absolutely miles and miles ahead of them. And just like the, the idea that somehow or other they're going to survive is absolutely beyond me. Like discount injury time, Aki's have been ahead for nine minutes in games this season. <laughs> it's an incredible statistic. Um, and they, uh, they, they, was it Craig Anderson highlighted as well? They're the first team to concede 30 goals in their first 12 games since Gretna. I, I do think Aki's, I, I, I have no doubt this season, Aki's are going to go down. To me, it's, it's an absolute stick on that they are going to go down. One of the worrying things for me is that it, it only seemed like the, the eighth goal when there seemed to be some sort of inquisition <laughs> held within the centre, within the defence. But like it was the only time that anybody seemed like they were annoyed that they were getting absolutely hammered once it went eight. <laughs> yes. And that, and that was the goal that really... Like a lot of goals were a farce, but that was the one that really was just the, the farciest of farces. Like <laughs> it's just like terrible defending, terrible goalkeeping, just not reacting quick enough to loose balls. Just everything was shit about it. Yeah, Every, but I, also, the, I also want to give a shout out to the sixth goal they conceded, which was also on the counter attack. <laughs> why is why is Lee Hodgson overlapping at this stage of the game? You're five nothing down away eye box. There's still about half an hour left, just just take the defeat, man. It's done. Like, who cares? <laughs> stop, stop committing so far forward. <laughs> is, I, I, as well as that, like, just to sort of finish off as well, like, as much as I say, I, I believe Aki's are going down to me. There's absolutely no question of that. On top of that as well, previously when they went down, they kind of felt like they won a watch and they ended up with Alec Neal as a manager after a bit of time, more time with Billy Reid, but they ended up with Alec Neal who has gone in and proven that he is a very good manager. 
the I, I'm just not really sure that he was sort of waiting in the wings to do that this time you've got Dougie Emery waiting in the wings to do that and I kind of struggle to see how quite it's good I, I I might be unkind here, but I kind of doubt that Doug Emery's going to have the same sort of transformative impact to Hamilton Ackes as Alec Neal did. On the flip side as well, just to quickly, very briefly mention Rangers, Joe Rebo is class and Kamal Roof is absolutely class as well. Like he is, he adds, he has, I've always been a bit sort of so-so on Jermaine Defoe. Like obviously, obviously Jermaine Defoe is a good footballer. That's beyond question at this point. The guy scored what's it, 300 uh, career goals. Not any in this game when he was my fantasy football captain, the prick, but he scored 300 league goals over his career. Well, I had the choice. I had a clear choice before the game because I, I originally picked Morelos as my captain, but then obviously he didn't start. So I spent my credits to get rid of him. And then I had a clear choice between Roof and Defoe. And obviously, I fucking picked the foe as well. I should, uh, I should, although I did, I, I did, I did, I did uh, ignore either of them as my captain and went for Tav, and that was a big winner. That, uh, I should, I should, I should have taken Roof, but again, just very briefly as well, like Roof adds a, a level of depth which Rangers did not have last year. Um, when they were needing to do something a little bit different, they didn't have the players and they didn't have the personnel to do something a little bit different. Roof allows Rangers to play in a totally different way, the way in which he drops and takes it. Well, Morelos is very good at doing that as well. Roof is just a different class. The, 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 the way in which he finds space throughout the, the front three, you kind of feel that regardless of where he's, wherever he's put in the front three, he'll be absolutely fine. If they need to play a slightly different way and someone play in behind, he can do all of these. In the, whereas last year, you were looking at somebody like Jordan Jones to come in and drop in on the left or Greg Stewart to maybe fill those roles a little bit. The, the difference between Greg Stewart and Kamal Roof is like, it's like playing a different sport. He is, every time I see Roof, I'm more and more impressed by him. He's very, very good. Or uh, Brandon Barker, who, uh, to highlight just how bad Aki's were, uh, scored in this game as well. And maybe even the nicest goal of the lot. It was the best goal in the game. Uh, to, for Rangers to score eight goals and for Brandon Barker's to be comfortably the best was quite surprising, I thought, as well. None of them, like, again, you can't, you're can't. you not going to complain about somebody scoring eight goals, but none of them, you didn't look at any of them and go, do you know that was a really, really good goal? And, no, okay, fine, fair enough. <laughs> Which again further highlights just how dreadful Aki's were. I'm going to try to bring up some stats, but I'll, I'll, I'll start with the one that's easy to remember off the top of my head. Uh, the fact that, so yeah, this is a team who conceded eight goals away from two goals, as we've mentioned, were, were lost on the counter-attack. And yet they didn't have a single shot. Not one. Not even, not like a shot on target. They just didn't have a shot. Their XG was literally zero. <laughs> I've never seen that before. It's uh, And bear in mind, they started the game with two centre-forwards as well. They were both terrible. And that was, this was our stat was what I look up. I was quickly trying to download the uh, match report from Scout to look at, uh, well, first of all, something else that caught my mind earlier, average uh, possession duration for both teams' Aki's was nine seconds. <laughs> And uh, wait, hang on, let me get to it. It's uh, David Moyle. Yeah, some of the worst stats I've ever read in my life. It was I. This was it. Uh, so it's, it has on Y Scout, so it has like actions. So this could be like a lot of things. This could be passing, this could be going for headers, this could be like dribbling, this could be kind of defensive duels, all this kind of stuff. Uh, David Moyle, uh, throughout his 93 minutes in the park, so he played the entire game, uh, he had 64 actions and only 12 were successful. 19%. That is. I've been I've been looking through these reports only for about a month, but that is the lowest I've seen by some distance. Usually, players kind of even if they have a bad game, you're usually in the forties. <laughs> he was at nineteen percent, and uh, Ronan Hughes, who again uh, he lasted fifty four minutes, he had twenty five actions, seven were successful. That's for twenty eight percent. Wow! Wow! Again, wow. it, if things like this, it does actually genuinely, it's not something I generally lean into all that much, but in things like this, it does very much feel worthwhile running through the numbers on it just to highlight the, the, there is, there's nothing, there's not a positive in the slightest to take this 
for for Rangers at all. It's it's or for Hamilton, sorry, at all. There's it's as bad a performance as you'll see. Yeah, good fun though. Cheers, Akis. Uh, I like the I like the fans going absolutely mental as well, and uh, they're just uh, looking forward to them getting patronised with how much of a nice guy Brian Rice is over the next few days. Uh, I did like the, the story. I hope it's true that thirty of fans were waiting for the bus to come back from New Douglas Park to to have a word face to face as well. They, they they technically didn't come chap at his door, but they, they've done the next best thing. They chapped on the door of where he works. Brian, tell us why this is so terrible. Uh, <laughs> We, I mean, we're trying. Was essentially seemed to be the the, the gist of it as well. And again, like, he, I, I never want to pile into folk because it's that's somebody's livelihood, somebody's job, whatever else as well. But it just it was that's it's as bad a performance as, as you will see. It was it was jaw dropping to see how many times Rangers players were just turning uncontested. There was it wasn't even a case of do you know what somebody just hit somebody 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 in the Hamilton team just go and hit somebody and stop them taking the piss. And at no point did anyone seem the seem willing or desirable desire to do that. It was. It was very, very poor, and as I say, I, I think, I think they're gone. I think they're gone now. I think they'll have a couple of flutters throughout the rest of the season to get back themselves slightly back into contention. But if St Mirren pick up any points and that gap starts to grow, then I think they're finished. It's a disgrace to the rest of the league that this side's only one point adrift. Um, <laughs> right, let's get let's go on to the final game. This is the only game that I didn't watch uh, any of it with the exception of the highlights on sports scene uh, that was Ross County 1 Livingston 1 Graham tell me about this match uh, in, in essence it was the same as every other Livingston game and every other Ross County game you've seen this season um, for, from the off like even just having 200 folk in the stadium it just it makes it so much more fun to watch football and every time when the game kicked off you could hear people making like a proper effort like fucking yes we're fucking another <laughs> football and properly cheering it and stuff like that it, it makes such a difference just watching a game it's it's it sounds so stupid that it's, so, it's such a smattering of people throughout the ground but the difference it makes is unbelievable in terms of just making it make it feel a bit a bit more like a normal game of football um, what I did enjoy as well is the, the post-match comments from both managers could essentially have been copy-pasted from every other interview they've given all season. I particularly enjoyed Gary Holt, who was saying... Right, I've not heard them say, but, me, but he, he would have obviously bemoaned the fact that they lost the goal for a set-piece uh, and that they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot a lot this season and they need to get back this sort of kind of tough identity that they've had. You're almost exactly on the money because every two weeks I feel that Gary Holt is saying... People, he said direct quote was teams seem to talk about how much we like to get how we like to get in their faces get the ball in the box we like to get bodies in there and we've gone away from that slightly but playing better football and we need to get back to what we're known for like you say this every two weeks Gary so every see instead of the alternate weeks where you stop getting back to what you're known for and try and play better football just stop doing that stop doing that just keep with what you're keep with what you're good at and win games on the flip side as well the same sort of thing of keeping what uh, keeping what you're good at once again it was a different setup for Ross County um, as well um, which I, it's, every time I see Ross County every time I feel like I've seen Levy and Ross County more than just about anybody this season and every time I see them they're doing things with players that I, I just feel that they shouldn't be doing like Ross County's midfield of lacking Kelly and, and Peyton Kelly and, and Peyton particularly I really like Lacken looks like a reasonable player too playing Ross Stewart kind of off Ollie Shaw again just why you do it just play play Ollie Shaw off Ross Stewart because the number of times the ball went up to towards Shaw and he just he continually turns the wrong way moves the wrong way gets eaten up by John Guthrie and, and Kieran Brown because of course he is because he's Ollie Shaw against John Guthrie and Kieran Brown who are absolute monsters Ross Stewart every time he got near them got in a fight with them and it was, it was at least a contest in there 
the the game in itself was like I don't know. It was like watching a game of primary school football on a playground. It was just bodies flying everywhere. It was a broadly like entertaining game of guys just fucking kicking lumps at each other. The 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 might or delta at the end of the game must have fucking tucked up into bed, absolutely puggled because the amount of absolute batterings it took off from like fifty. Like every, it felt like every second touch was a 50-50, Um which again is entirely what I'm here for as well. I, I'm I get on board with that entirely. Um, I'd have to say as well, probably a good point for both teams given their kind of recent runs. I mean, I know Levy, Levy have kind of turned into being a team that's good away from home, so they might be getting worried if they carry win any home games. Uh, but still, considering the, the fact that they've not been in good form, County obviously have been in dreadful form. Uh, so I do wonder whether both managers would secretly be kind of like, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, the last sort of 10, 15 minutes, you could see both teams just a little bit nervous about it like we, we've both been in this situation before where we've, we've scored and we're losing points later on in the game and nobody seemed really quite keen to commit too much to it as well it was kind of strange as well and Holt substitutions again seemed a bit odd and that at the start of the second half certainly um, Livy had a, a good chunk of momentum and then scored a really nice goal through Devlin as well and then it started to sort of fade as the half went on and Ross County came back into it and started to control it a little bit more and then he the substitution just felt a little bit late in the game, particularly against the they felt like guys that you were bringing on. And Poplatnik, it's a guy that you're bringing on, you kind of feel like trying to sort of change the game a little bit and do a little bit more and do a little bit more creativity. And maybe that's why he, he hooked Sibold, who had had a really nice game um, over somebody like Robinson. So it felt a little bit like, well, I'm not going to take the risk of playing two ball players in order to try and score goals and win games. So I'll, I'll keep my team solid and lumpy for the, the last 15 minutes, but it did feel like the opportunity was kind of there to go and win it. I did, again, really like Steve Lawson. Uh, every time I see him for Livy, I'm sort of surprised at how little he seems to sort of turn out for them at the moment as well. And his, his sort I think of a lot of it is stuff. to do with injury stuff. He just seems to get yeah. injured quite a lot. Um, his sort of reverse pa- his reverse pass for the the ball to Pittman to set up the goal was just a really nice exp- a really nice bit of play and it sort of highlighted why he's a central midfielder rather than a left back and keeping him at left back it works for him because he's good there and he's a good player but maybe Lawson over Robinson in the middle of the park offers he offers the, the defensive side and a little bit more than Robinson does but then again I'm always wary of suggesting dropping Robinson because well, they seem to fall apart every time he does for reasons <laughs> that I cannot fathom whatsoever like, I, I have no idea every time I watch him I, I try to pay attention to what Scott Robinson's bringing to a game and I, like, it's I a curse on them many times he's at the squad yeah I kind of see it like I see what he brings to the game and that he does the right thing all the time like he's, he's not he's not remarkable or, or exciting but he does the right thing he's very sensible and does the right thing But I think he more than any other player epitomises living I wonder yeah. whether other players in the team know that as well so what they still there he's like oh no we're back to being a league one club <laughs> again the second half start of the second half as well you saw a little bit more of what uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas can offer as well he lived seem to be getting better at committing bodies around them and I think having Sibold and Forrest and Pittman um, around them helps because they are more than willing to commit forward and Devlin obviously as well at fullback is willing to do that too um, He, if he's going to drop deep he needs bodies to go beyond them at the previous game that I saw him it was very much a case of he was dropping deep and in the first half as well really he was dropping deep and he only really had square passes on he, he wants to turn and wants to put it out wide or he wants to play it to guys playing beyond him I do, I do think there's a there's a player there I know Tony was pretty scathing of him a couple of weeks ago which again was fair enough because he was murdered in that game um, but I think there is something there more than there's maybe been from any of the other 
four strikers that Livy have played up front this season. Um, I do like Tiffany, but I think in terms of quality, I think Emmanuel Thomas has got something there as well. Uh, in terms of Ross County, um, going to a back four seems to make an awful lot more sense because it means you don't play a stupid fucking high line, although they might have got away with it in this game because Emmanuel Thomas can't run. Um, <laughs> Might have worked here, don't know. But then again, you get three centre halves marking one centre forward, so maybe change it. Um, again, I, I've said a few times as well, but Kettlewell always it always feels like he's trying to be very, very clever in what he does. I think if he fight, if I, this, they've look, they looked better in this game than they have in previous weeks. I think if he was to stick with stick on a system and be good at it, essentially get let the players play consistently there and, do, and, and learn each other around them. Yakovetti, I thought, had a reasonable game. Donaldson, as soon as he's back in a in a, in a, in a certain half pairing, looks really comfortable there as well. And Reid always offers something down the, down, the, down the line for them as well. It's Both of them still, d- despite the fact that it's November, both of them still kind of feel like a work in progress, um, which... I'm not really quite sure how you change that, but certainly Peyton and Kelly, certainly in, in County's midfield, are a real positive to take from the game. I thought both of them were very good. I always like watching Peyton. I think he's got a, a, an element of snide about him while being a bit of a footballer, and, and Kelly particularly was up there with the best players on the pitch for me. Okay, Graham, thank you very much. I think that'll do us. Thanks, Craig. Right, and uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Make sure to check out the uh, Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast. There's uh, not a podcast going up tonight, but I am doing a, a couple of quarterly reports tomorrow, so they'll go up. There's also uh, the boys. Uh, so tonight is the first episode of Inside Tide Castle. We're hoping for we're hoping for fireworks uh, because the boys are going to be getting together tomorrow night, and uh, we'll put that one up as quickly as possible. I might save the quarterly reports for a little bit later in the week, uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be. It's definitely going to be Tony and Rob and maybe even Joel as well uh, joining to to dissect the the first episode of the long-awaited documentary slash sitcom slash horror slash drama. (laughs) Not not thriller, but thriller. (laughs) That that is uh, the Hearts uh, 2019-2020 season. Right. Thank you. Goodbye. Podcast Network.